Now, as you might have guessed from the, that excellent little video, we're talking about dating tonight. And um, we're in a series, a three-part series here on dating relationships and relationships in the church. Uh, it's called First Love. We had other titles in mind. We wanted to call it maybe Waiting, Dating, and Mating, um, or, or possibly Baywatch, B-A-E, Baywatch. Um, and uh, we're asking, how in the light of what God says about Christian relationships, how are we to live, and specifically, how are we to date? So Jacob spoke last week, he spoke about um, marriage, the biblical view of marriage, biblical view of singleness. Jen and Ben will be speaking next week, come on, that's going to be great, on dating into marriage. And I'm going to be speaking on dating and specifically the early phases of being in a relationship like that. And our passage today is from Romans. And Romans is written by a chap called Paul and he wrote to the church in Rome over things like, should new Christians get circumcised? And what about Jews and Gentiles? Are Gentiles even meant to become Christians? And in response to such things, he writes some of the most profound theology in the whole Bible. But what we have to acknowledge at this point then is that Paul, as he writes our passage today, he isn't talking about dating. In fact, um, in his time, he'd be talking about arranged marriage. That's how all marriage happened. That's how relationships happened. It's arranged marriage. And at this point, we think, phew, thank goodness, I don't have to um, you know, do what my dad says, don't have to do what my mum says. But now, of course, we have dating which itself is a bit of a nightmare because we're just arranging our own marriage. So good luck with that, we think. So dating isn't necessarily in the Bible. You could, in fact, say that it's totally unbiblical. But the point is this. How in light of what God says about how we're to live in Christian community, how are we to date? So in light of what Paul writes to the church, how are we to treat one another? How are we to honour one another. And that's what I want to speak about tonight. What does it mean to honor one another, especially in dating relationships? And then what does it look like to honor one another in the church, the community that we're in? So tonight, maybe that you'll feel like this really applies to you, yet yeah, you're single and ready to date, or you are dating. And for some of us, that won't be the case. But since what I'm talking about tonight is a culture of honor, it really does apply to all of us because we all know people who are dating. Or we want to support people. We want to be a community that loves each other. So this is for us all. And it really is in such a culture, a healthy culture in the church, that dating relationships that are healthy will be sustained. So as we seek to understand God's heart for this stuff, why don't we have a bit of a DTR, guys? Why don't we define the relationship? What exactly is dating? Is it hanging out? Is it seeing each other? When does dating begin? Is it an intentional relationship? I've got a friend of mine, he really doesn't like the way Christians seem to use the word intentional. We were at a stag do recently, and my friend was talking about his new relationship. And he said something like, you know, really earnestly, you know, we're just trying to be really intentional. And my other friend stopped him and said, look, could you just stop using that word? It's making me squirm, because he didn't like it. What is dating? What does it mean? Well, I went on a journey trying to find this out, and one of the first places I turned to was Urban Dictionary, Um, which I generally wouldn't recommend unless you want to find really smutty definitions to things. But despite that, it started out quite well. It said this, dating of a couple. To be in the early stages of a relationship where they go out on dates to find out what each other is like as a prelude to building a fully-fledged couple. I thought, oh, that sounds quite reasonable. Okay, so I continued, mistake, Um, because they range from the merely miserable to the downright depressed. Dating, a pointless act defined by a massive usage of colon, uh, colon, <laughs> cologne, and or perfume, and or sweaty hand-holding. Dating, 
the modern day battlefield of romance where hearts are won and broken. Dating, the best way to ruin perfectly good friendships with people who never did anything to harm you. And maybe these are helpful, but this is the best definition I found, and it's going to come up on a slide behind me. Dating is investing in an attractional relationship with a view to determining its suitability for deeper commitment. And that's such a technical definition, it makes one read it in a silly voice. Investing in an attractional relationship with a view to determining its suitability for deeper commitment. But basically, what we're saying is this. Dating is getting to know someone better, always with an eye on the future. And especially in the context of the Bible, in the context of Christian relationships, we are talking about marriage. Dating is getting to know someone better. You might not know the future. You might not know if you want to marry them. But your eye is on what is to come. We take the future seriously. We invest ourselves. If you have that slide up just one more time. We see that we invest ourselves and we determine what is to come. We invest and we determine. And you might think that mentioning marriage at this point is maybe jumping the gun, maybe applying the pressure. But we see as we do this that honour, which I'm going to talk about, is to do with investing ourselves. So where does this all begin? Where does a culture of honour begin? Well, it begins by individually honouring God. Paul says this as he talks in, chapter, in verse 11. Read with me on your sheets. Never be lacking in zeal, he says, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Never be lacking in the thing, in your passion for God. In all the things you do, he says, as you serve one another, as you love one another, as you go about your daily lives, as you live in community, keep God as the first thing in your life. He comes first, he says. And he says, keep your passion for him. Now, I wonder if you think the words like zeal and spiritual fervor say a sort of you know, unhealthy spiritual intensity. But Paul is saying, as you love one another, love God first. As you love one another, love God first. Keep your spiritual zeal. Keep it up. Keep loving God first. This is where honour begins. This is where a culture of honour begins. And if God comes first, this has some real implications for us as we think about dating. As we seek to honour God first, the first thing we might think about is desire. Desire is really important. As you think about what you're looking for in something, physical attraction is important. It matters. You only have to look at uh, the Song of Songs with its descriptions of sex with a married couple that you would rather think shouldn't be in the Bible to know that physical union and attraction is important. But of course it isn't everything, is it? We know that. We're trying to honour God first. And what we do if we're trying to honour God first is we take our sexual nature, we take our physical attraction and we continually give it to God. Because the flip side of sexual attraction is lust. And lust is a selfish thing. It looks to satisfy the self and not give. So as we try to honour God first, we take this important thing, part of the way we are made to be, attraction, and we say, God, it's yours. Make my desires less self-centred. So what else is important? Well, what connects us as we think about dating? What connects you to the people that you might want to date? Now, that's things like how you relate but also things like, where do you live? Did you go on a summer fling, uh, summer romance when you were in Spain and they actually live in Australia, so now it's maybe not the best idea? Or are they going travelling for a year, so you're not going to see them? A friend of mine, who's a bit older with kids, his advice for dating is, do you have fun together and do you live nearby each other? As if living near each other is important. But here's the thing. If we're trying to honour God first, what we do is with the details, we give them totally to him. So I think it's quite natural to, um, 
build up a list of things we'd like to see in someone which involve their sort of character and also maybe their physical attributes. We want someone who's both a bodybuilder and the CEO of a charity, but also loves to cook and is just excellent with our mum or whatever it is. Yeah, right? But what we do, we're trying to honour God first, is we say, God, here are my desires. Have them. You know better than me. Our Heavenly Father loves us and knows our hearts even better than we do. So we take our list, whether it's spoken, said or unsaid, and we say, God, I give you the details. So what connects us? Desire. But in light of looking to first honour God, we look for character, don't we? Not just superficial qualities. But of course, as we think about dating, we don't just look for perfection. We seek to know, are they also trying to put God first? If it is about seeking God first, keeping our spiritual fervor, as Paul said, are they trying to do that as well? But not, I must say, are they a spiritual superhero? Not are they somehow the perfect Christian. And also, we don't look for someone who is going to try and make us a better Christian. Ah, I'll put all my hope in them because then my relationship with God will be sorted because they're the perfect one and together we'll somehow do it. But we do look for the direction of travel. Maybe they're not the most mature Christian at the moment, but are they seeking to put God first? Are they seeking to put God first? Not are they perfect, but where are they headed? And in all this, we let our passion be shaped by God as we love one another. We say, Lord, take my desires, take my priorities, take my passions, they are yours. And so God shapes the culture of our hearts and therefore he can shape the culture of this church into one that honours each other. Never be lacking in zeal, says Paul. Now what I've said just brings up an interesting point because I've talked about looking for someone who is also seeking to put God first. Here's a question. Can I date a non-Christian? It's a good question. Can I date a non-Christian? The word can there is really interesting. Can suggests a rule. Remember, the Bible has no rules for dating. But it is very transparent about how we live in Christian community. And one of the things it talks about is Christians marrying other Christians. There's the verse that you might have heard about Christians not being yoked with unbelievers, which is helpful, but you can slightly take it out of context. But when a good example is when Paul talks about remarriage, he only talks about Christians marrying other Christians. And what we have to understand with this, and I will return to this point, but what we have to understand, it's not can I as if, is there a rule, and, or if there is, how can I somehow get around it? But should I? Is it wise? If God is to be put first, this is what it always comes back to. Keep your spiritual fervor, says Paul. Keep God as the number one thing in your life. And it is against that that all other decisions are made. And so, imagine if you are in a relationship with someone. You have to work out the things of life. You have to make decisions together. And if your relationship goes on for a long time... Maybe you might have kids. So decisions like, how should we spend our money? Or I'd like to give a 10% of it to the church. Problematic. How should we bring up our kids? Well, of course, they're going to come to church with me and maybe focus or whatever it is. Maybe you might have to put yourself in a situation where you choose between God and the other person. And Paul says, God always comes first. There's an African saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Look for people for the journey with God. Look for people who are going to go with you on that journey of putting God first. 
in this as well, I think it's good to talk about internet dating, since we are in the age of internet dating. And this is really interesting as we talk about Christian community, especially, for, although that might not make sense, for internet dating. And I can't cover it completely, and maybe this is one of the things that you can um, text in a question about. We're going to have a slide up later with questions. If anything I say at this point provokes a question in you that you'd like answered more, at the end of next week's sermon, we're going to have a panel. So if there's something like, oh, I don't agree with that, or what about this, you haven't spoken about this, please do take this in. So maybe internet dating might be one of them. But just quickly, I want to say it can be brilliant, and God can certainly use it. You know, if we exercise wisdom and nuance, if we look in the right place, I think places like Christian Connection can be a great starting place. But ultimately, the best place to date is in a community where you are known, in a community where you are accountable, in a community where people love you. So even if we meet someone online, it's healthy to bring them as quickly as possible into community. Now, does that make any of us slightly uncomfortable, the idea about bringing a totally new date, perhaps, into church? Maybe someone that, you know, your second date, come to church with me. Does that make us uncomfortable? And why does it? Is it a few of these things? Are we somehow looking on the internet because we want to find the perfect person? Or maybe we look on the internet because we're scared of rejection. And especially if we're in a church where there are lots of people today, are we looking, as it were, to do something that... So if it goes wrong, we can't be held accountable to it. Are we scared that if it goes wrong, we won't be able to face the people in our church? I think that's often why we seek to look outside of our context. But it is in a healthy church community that dating can flourish. Dating relationships can flourish. Now, as we talk about internet dating, guys, let's talk about Tinder. So... um, about three years ago, whenever it was, when Tinder was coming out, I'd just moved to London. And I have to admit, out of a combination of boredom and insecurity and intrigue, I signed myself up. And nothing really came of it. I was on it for two weeks, and it was sort of a diverting thing. Guess what I liked about Tinder? I liked it every time I got a match. I was like, ooh, ooh. I sort of felt attractive for a second. I've, my sort of self-confidence was given a little boost. My ego was given a little boost. And then one day, two weeks after I'd signed up to it, a friend came up to me, and he had a grave look on his face, and he said, Tim, Tim, I signed up for Tinder, and I don't know why I did it, but I just really like it when I get that match. And I sort of had a big smile on my face on this point, which wasn't the most pastoral response, but I was like, yes, there's someone who did the same thing as me. It's okay. And the reason we both did it, and we sort of shared this, he said, actually, we like it when other people give us their affirmation, even if it's just a silly thing of a match on a dating site. And what we were looking for, we are looking for a boost to our self-esteem. And Paul says, serve the Lord. He says, keep your spiritual fervor, putting him first. And friends, it is as we do that that we find our true self-esteem and we find our true identity. God, who is the only source of affirmation and self-image and love that is true and will truly satisfy us. How do you get ready for a date? How do you prepare? Do you like to put on makeup? Maybe you've been to the gym. Maybe you want to put on that perfect colon, as I said earlier, or cologne. How do you get ready? Do you like put on like um, We Will Rock You or like some music to sort of pump yourself up? What do you do? That'd be a bit weird, let's be honest. In light of serving God first, preparing for a date is not about any physical thing we do, but it is about establishing who we are in God. Jago touched on this last week. 
We're not incomplete people looking to meet other incomplete people. We're not two halves mating to meet someone else. We use that phrase, don't we? My other half. Jago said this last week. That's not the picture of the Bible. We are complete. We are whole in and of ourselves. And the Bible talks about two becoming one. But it's two whole people becoming one. So let's not use disastrous cliches like, you complete me. You're everything I need. Because one of the myths of the church... One of the myths of the church is that Christian marriage equals maturity. Christian marriage is used, I think, by God for our sanctification. God uses close relationship to refine us. But it isn't the way that maturity is found in God. But maturity is the aim. Maybe you've heard what Andy Stanley says, or heard a phrase like it. And regarding, regarding dating, it says, become the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Bit of a mouthful. Become the person that you are looking for is looking for. Well, that doesn't mean the right job or the right six-pack or whatever it is you think you've got to do to make yourself the best version of yourself. But it is growing in understanding God's deep, incredible love for you. God's love for us, which is shown on the cross, undeniably, that is the source of our identity. That is the source of our hope. And so a culture of honor, as I talk about honoring God first, Paul says, keep your spiritual fervor. Honor also means honoring ourselves. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's three love commands in that famous saying. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. Guys, it is perfectly godly to love yourself. It is perfectly godly to see yourself in the light of God's love. Because loving yourself does not mean, um, there's a, a friend of mine reminded me of this as I was preparing this talk. We, you know, I said, I talked about, I might talk about self-love. And she immediately thought of um, maybe songs sung by women, sort of, I don't need no man. Um, you know, I'm going to put up my walls. I don't need anyone. I'm doing my thing. I'm up in the club. All that kind of stuff. <laughs> and we have a version of self-love in our culture. But it's the one of like, I'm untouchable, I'm fantastic, I'm fabulous, I don't need anyone, I don't need a man. And we do that, I think, because we put up barriers. Now, I'm maybe stereotyping there, but I wonder if, if we say, I don't need anyone, we actually put ourselves away from other people. And we're designed to know the love of God. Who we are is to be rooted entirely in God's love for us. We are not, you know, there's a celebrity um, love island on the moment. We are not our own islands. We're not our own love islands. We're not self-sufficient. We are whole, but we need love. Absolutely. This is why we look for it in all the wrong places. But it is only the love of God that will deeply satisfy us. And it's, so it's a godly thing to love yourself, but not for your outward appearance, and not for your job, or not for your status, or not for the things you've done but because God sees you in the light of Jesus, calls you his own, and loves you totally. And if you want to pray a revolutionary prayer in your life, pray, God, teach me how you love me. Show me your heart for me. Because we love out of lack, don't we? We are shaped by the people who love us. We're shaped by our families, we're shaped by our friends. And we're communicated all our lives as to what love looks like. And the truth is, 
It's not perfect. And so therefore, we love out of the lack that we have been given. Today I'm speaking of Father's Day. And so often our fathers fall so short, even if they are so good, they do not love us perfectly. And therefore, the way we go about relationships and the way we relate to people is out of this place of brokenness. And it's out of a place of lack, not out of the place of abundant love that God has designed us for in Jesus Christ. Pray that prayer. God, show me your love for me. And can I suggest here that this love isn't some sort of romantic, sort of wussy love. We sort of talk about love a lot in our culture, and that is entirely romantic. We're talking about the unconditional love of our Heavenly Father. And if you don't want to know what that looks like, we look first to Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. If you want to know, if you're ever unsure that God loves you, look to the fact that he died, that you might know freedom. And then secondly, look to his word. Do you remember that fame? There's the famous verses from 1 Corinthians. They're always read out at wedding ceremonies. And um, we've heard it so many times, but it's so, so good. But 1 John 4, which I'm going to mention in a second, says that God is love, which means as we read famous verses like this, we can do this. Can we have the uh, slide up, please, Michaela? We remember these verses. We've seen this at a wedding, maybe. If you want to know what God's love is like, read his word. And because God is love, I can replace God with every time it says love here. So I can speak about God's love totally confidently and say God is patient, God is kind, God does not envy, God does not boast, God is not proud, God does not dishonor others, God is not self-seeking, God is not easily angered, God keeps no records of wrong, God does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, God always protects, God always trusts, God always hopes, God always perseveres, God never fails. Amen? This is what the love of God is like. And friends, as we go on the journey of faith with the Lord, we must grow in understanding his deep, deep love for us. Otherwise, all the relationships we do in our dating and our relationships in church will be from a place of brokenness, which God has died to save us from and to heal us from. And this can impact all sorts of things. I mentioned to someone about preparing this talk that I might mention, you know, the roles of boys asking out girls or girls asking out boys. And I have to say my friend slightly twitched when he thought that I might be saying something that's a little bit controversial. And um, let's just go back to what the Bible says. Of course, the Bible has no roles for who should ask out who. But even in this sort of thing, we, if, we under, if we're living in the light of God's love, then we live in a place where we're not afraid of rejection. So if you're thinking about asking someone out, can I just encourage you? Go for it. Here's, here's a little thing. People like being asked out. Even if they actually say no, people like it. And the truth is, we are absolutely loved by God. So what have we got to lose? Go for it. Now, I could probably end this talk at this point. What a, what a, a crucial thing. What a life-changing thing. Seeing ourselves in the light of God's love. However, what Paul talks about is he talks about community a lot. And we have to look at that. Because we see God's love both in Jesus dying for us, we see it in the word, but then also we see it in one another. Because the way we love one another communicates God's love to us. Can we have the slide up? We're going to read from 1 John, famous verses again. 
Dear friends, he says, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this is our verse. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made perfect in us. The word is there is teleos. It's perfected. It is completed. Somehow God's love is made perfect in the way that we love one another. And our love, our love especially in church, it must be the context for healthy dating relationships. This is where a culture of honour starts. It's how we treat each other. So how do we date? Well, Ben and Jen are going to be talking about more next week. But I've based so much of what I've said around this verse in verse 10. You might want to read with me on your sheet. Be devoted to one another in love. Other translations will say, in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. The ESV will translate this, outdo one another in showing honour. And I love that. I could have literally chosen this verse just to preach on. Honour one another before yourselves. This is how all Christian relationships, in fact, this is how we relate to all people, by putting them before us. And this is how we date as well. And this, I have to say, is deeply countercultural. Because so much of what we're encouraged to do is look for our needs and be really specific. And I think you can see this in just how many specific niche dating sites there are. Because obviously there's the big ones. And then there's some really weird ones as well. So are you a Canadian wanting to meet an American? Get on maplematch.com. Maybe you might want to hop onto Bristler, ladies, if you want to find a man with a beard. Um, There's one called Farmers Only. I think it's quite self-explanatory, really. Um, J-Swipe, for single Jewish people. Uh, Hi There, which is online dating for people who smoke marijuana. And the high is obviously a pun. There's Mullet Passions, which is dating for those who love business at the front and party at the back. Um, There's Hater, uh, which is matching people based on their mutual dislikes. Interesting. Uh, There's Burrito, which pairs its users based on their ideal burrito. And guys, you know, guacamole or sour cream, these are the things, these are the things that really count in long-term relationships. I can see where they're going. Uh, this is one is interesting. Remainder, and I kid you not, their tagline is, for the 48%. <laughs> so if you voted remain in the EU referendum, you might get matched with the love of your life. And then this, I have to say, is just really 2017, but there's also gluten-free singles. And I suppose... That's for people who are fed up of being taken on dates to Italian restaurants. (laughs) Instead of putting our own preferences before anyone else, we need to honour one another. Put other people before us. And um, I want to speak how that happens individually, but then also in community. And I think we honour one another when we invest ourselves and we're real. So firstly, we need to invest ourselves And this is going to get really practical. But one of the ways we invest ourselves, especially in dating relationships, is by really giving them time. Apparently, it takes a minimum of seven hours for um, uh, 
emotional bonding to happen. Seven cumulative hours of dating to attain to emotional bonding. Now, I remember going on a date at university, and it was about 40 minutes, and she was late, and I wasn't in the best mood, and I think we had a coffee that was a bit cold, and at the end of it, I remember saying to a friend, oh, she's not the one. After 40 minutes, 40 minutes, what, what did I know about her? Absolutely nothing. Apparently, it takes seven hours. The way we honor one another is by really investing ourselves. We've got to be all in. Now, I promised Tom that I'd do this. We've got to be all in, in just the way of... <laughs> Last night, someone in our church got in a game of betting chicken, okay? This was a charity auction, and he, as a joke, decided to put a vote, um, a bid of £900, which then got up to £1,100 as a joke, and then he actually won the painting... Tom Triffitt, great work. Right. <laughs> We've got to be all in. <laughs> Lovely, bring that illustration to land. We've got to be all in. We've got to give ourselves. We've got to honor other people by giving of ourselves. So, how is this achieved? Well, it's achieved in dating by being real. By being real. Communi- uh, Christian community is not a place where we hide ourselves and we hide behind how are you? I'm fine even if we want to. We don't hide behind nicety and politeness. Be devoted, Paul says. Be devoted, be real, be accountable, be honest. Because this starts in Christian community and then continues in dating. What's the hard thing about dating? Well, so often it's, as you get to know someone, what you're basically doing is saying, here's the real me, I'm letting down my guards. Do you like me? Do you like who I really am? But the truth is, that's what we should already be doing in the church. And that's what we should already be doing with one another. It's being totally real with one another, not wearing masks. Paul says in verse 9, you can read with me. He talks about, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. He says, love must be sincere. And the word there could also be used to say, love mustn't be hypocritical. Mustn't say one thing and do another. And the word there is used to describe an actor who would wear a mask in a play to change his emotions. So all his emotions, all his acting came from putting on a mask. And Paul's point is this. Christians don't wear masks. Love must be sincere. The way we relate to one another must be real. This is how we honor one another. And you see, it starts in Christian community. Paul is talking to the church. And then it continues on into dating relationships. We need to be real vulnerable, honest. And of course, do you remember what I said earlier? All of this comes from knowing who we are in God. Knowing that we haven't got anything to hide anyway because we are loved, valued, and accepted by our Heavenly Father. So what I'm talking about here doesn't apply just to those dating, but also to the church. And I hope you can see that in what I'm saying. Paul talks about being devoted to one another. As I said in other translations, it's in brotherly love. And the word there is Philadelphia, which is where we get philos, which is that kind of brotherly love, sibling love. Philadelphia, not just some kind of delicious cheese spread or a city, but the love, he says, that we are to show to one another as we are devoted. So in the words of Sister Sledge, we are family, guys. This is a family. I know it looks a little bit odd. We're sort of a bit spread out. We're from different backgrounds. But we're a family. That's what the um, Bible talks about as one of being the works of Christ. He makes us, he unites us as the people of God. So look around you. This is your family, whether you like it or not. How we do our culture and our church will give permission or not to people to date. How we relate to one another 
will shape the atmosphere and shape the culture in this church. Remember, how we relate to one another shows God's love. So are we doing that? A couple of really practical ways. If you hear that someone is dating, don't make a joke about marriage. Don't jump the gun. Oh, can I hear wedding bells? Don't do it. There's enough pressure already without people thinking that all Christians are sex crazed and want to get married as soon as possible. (laughs) And also, and I cannot stress this enough, don't gossip. Would HTBC be a place where we do not gossip? Where we do not say, have you heard? We love a bit of juicy gossip, don't we? It's exciting. The Bible talks again and again about letting our words be pure. It effectively puts gossip next to swearing. Don't let unwholesome talk come from your mouth, Paul will say. Let's not gossip. Let's not talk behind our backs. Let's not say, oh, have you heard? Do you know? Let's not judge one another. Because if we do, this will not be a place where people feel safe to date. Do you remember what I said earlier about internet dating and how we often like to do that? We like to date somewhere else so that if it does go wrong, we won't have a reputation. But that reputation is sustained by other people's judgment. Would this be a church that is free of judgment? Would this be a church that loves one another, that honors one another, that is devoted to one another? And also, it doesn't mean just the things we don't do, but it means the things we do do. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're to be a church that is generous out of the abundance of God's love for us. So we are too, are to share abundantly. And um, with this culture, and I'm going to come into land on this, and this might seem a funny point to end on, but within a culture of honor, within a culture that we're looking to sustain in this church, it must be okay to break up. It must be okay to have discernment. It must be okay, if it's right, to end things. Because if it's unsafe to date in church and it's not okay to break up, it means you can't actually work it out. We end up in this scenario where you have to choose perfectly And then if something goes wrong or it's not right, somehow you're in the sin bin and that judgment comes in. So a culture of honor here works two ways. Firstly, it applies to those dating. If you date with honor, if you date with love and compassion and what Paul is talking about here, putting into practicals the principles of living well together, if you honor that person, if you maintain appropriate sexual boundaries, if you love that, if you're devoted to that person, if you put their needs before yours throughout it, then if you discern it's right to break up, it will be okay. Because you can do it with honor, because you have honored God and that person. But as I said, it's not just the behavior of the people in the relationship that make it okay, but it's the whole church. How we treat each other will determine whether we sustain shame or whether we cultivate compassion. Would we be a church that is compassionate and not shaming? For such shame can drive us apart. But God's desire for us at this church is that we grow closer together. Do be devoted, Paul says, to one another. Be devoted. Honor one another above yourselves. And on the way, as we seek God first, there are some instructions for living. Verse 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And maybe what I've said tonight, maybe just this whole series is bringing up pain. Maybe you're bringing up issues here where you're not sure. Maybe this is a thing that is hurting This brings up real hurt, the topic of relationships. This is God's encouragement to us. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. But do you see from what I'm saying, that doesn't happen on our own. We are not love islands. We're not sort of separated. We do this 
in community, in the love of God. We are hopeful with one another when there seems like there is no hope. We are patient with one another in our affliction when it is not right. And we pray with one another. We are faithful in our prayer together. And I'd love to see a culture like that at this church, especially at this service. But as I say, this all begins with God's love for us. This is real love, says 1 John 4. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. We are so loved by God. We are so loved by God. And my prayer is that all of us would live out relationships, dating or otherwise, in light of that unbelievable truth, that life-changing truth.